Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unchained, your no-hype resource for all things crypto. I'm your host, Laura Shin. Before we begin, a couple notes. First, I'm doing another survey to find out what you want from the podcasts and how I can make them better. Last year, we heard you loud and clear on the news front and so have begun including a weekly news recap at the end of every unconfirmed. This year, what would you like to see from Unchained? Please take a moment to fill out the survey to let us know what you like from the show. The link is in the show notes, or you can just go to surveymonkey.com slash r slash unchained 2020. Again, that's surveymonkey.com slash r slash unchained 2020. And guess what? Crypto.com has offered our survey respondents a chance to win a metal MCO Visa card. And Crypto.com will stake these cards indefinitely. 10 lucky winners will enjoy card benefits, including free Spotify, free Netflix, and 3% back on all spending. And they'll earn extra interest on their crypto deposit and more. Thanks, Crypto.com. Again, take the survey now. SurveyMonkey.com slash r slash unchained 2020. That's SurveyMonkey.com slash r slash unchained 2020. One other thing, Unchained is hiring. I'm looking for a remote editorial assistant to start working later this summer as one of my staff is leaving to go to grad school. This role handles numerous editorial tasks from booking guests to proofreading to social media and deals with everything from the show itself to the show notes to the newsletter. If you love crypto and have journalism experience, get in touch. I have a link to the job posting in the show notes and the listing is also available on my website. There it explains what you should send in and how. Today's episode is a panel from the Ready Layer One conference with Ilya Polisukin of Near Protocol, Zaki Manian of Cosmos, Robert Habermeyer of Polkadot, and Arthur Brightman of Tezos. We discuss how these Layer One chains plan to take on Ethereum, not just with features, but in terms of attracting developers and users. Plus, we get into a big discussion over whether or not Bitcoin and Ethereum are direct competitors. It was a lively, fun discussion, and I definitely noticed that the viewers thought so too from looking at their comments. Enjoy. The Stellar Network connects your business to the global financial infrastructure, whether you're looking to power a payment application or issue digital assets like stablecoins or digital dollars. Stellar is easy to learn and fast to implement. Start your journey today at unchained.stellar.org. Kraken is the best exchange in the world for buying and selling digital assets. It has the tightest security, deep liquidity, and a great fee structure with no minimum or hidden fees. Whether you're looking for a simple fiat on-ramp or futures trading, Kraken is the place for you. In response to the challenging times, Crypto.com is waiving the 3.5% credit card fee for all crypto purchases for the next three months. Download the Crypto.com app today. Welcome, everyone, to our panel, uh, where we've got a number of founders of Layer 1 Protocols. Um, 
which I believe a year ago, maybe we were calling them Ethereum killers, but I don't know if that's the term nowadays. Um, anyway, why don't we just uh, each have have each of you just go around and say uh, what it is that you're working on and where you're um, sheltering in place from. Hi, I'm Zucky. Uh, I'm sheltering in place in Palo Alto, uh, working on Cosmos, um, just working on launching IBC right now. Hi, my name's Rob. Uh, I work on Polkadot, which is a heterogeneous sharding platform. I am hunkering down in the DMV in the DC area. Hey, everyone. I'm Ilya, co-founder at Near, working on pretty much, we just released mainnet and uh, like stage one and then kind of going to decentralize it over this months and beyond, uh, actually in Shanghai, in China. Hi, my name is uh, Arthur Brakeman. I'm a co-founder of Tezos. Chain has been live for uh, a bit of uh, almost almost two years now, uh, and I'm sheltering in place in uh, Singapore. Great. Well, thank you all for joining. Um, so I actually wanted uh, then all of us to also just give everybody kind of an overview of what it is, like why we, you know, brought you all together. So um, why don't you each now just say what it is that your protocol does and kind of where in the stage of de- development you're at? Cool. Um, I can go first. So Cosmos, uh, so Cosmos is a software stack for building your own blockchain. And so the Cosmos Hub um, and a number of other blockchains like the Binance Dex chain, uh, IrisNet, Kava, Terra have all been live on the software stack uh, for about a year. Um, but sort of the two pieces of this sort of I- sort of vision of Cosmos, one piece was this idea of, you know, build your own blockchain. Um you know, any, any, everyone can have their own sort of customized, uh, community driven layer one. Uh, and then the second piece was interoperating those blockchains. So in the year since we launched, uh, since a bunch of these networks, uh, started to launch, uh, we've been working on this interoperability framework, um, called IBC. Um, and right now we're in the midst of Game of Zones, which is the sort of, uh, incentivized testnet sort of inspired by Game of Stakes, which was sort of the original incentivized testnet that uh, we're sort of uh, putting IBC through its paces, uh, expecting to launch IBC on the Cosmos Hub later this summer. Robert? Yeah, so I, I view that there's there's a design space of blockchain scalability. So what Polkadot does is it, it occupies a space, a point in this design space that's in between something like homogeneous sharding, where you have a bunch of different shards that all execute the same kind of smart contracts and things, and in between something like Cosmos, where you have a bunch of different blockchains that all talk to each other. Each of those blockchains has to be fully sovereign. So there are trade-offs to both sides of that design space, so we try to occupy a a middle ground where uh, those shards are heterogeneous. We have a bunch of different shards. We split up the work between a bunch of different blockchains that draw security from the same source, but those blockchains are specialized to specific tasks. They don't have to bring their own balances. They don't have to bring their own validator sets, things like that. Uh, So as any engineer knows, the closer you can specialize to a specific task, the better your solution is going to be. More general solutions are less efficient. Um, So that's our notion of parachain. So we also embody this notion of build your own blockchain, bring your own blockchain. We built a, a, a toolkit called Substrate, which is for building your own blockchains, um, writing the what we call the runtime, the logic of your blockchain in WebAssembly, in Rust code, 
uh, and everything else is sort of taken care of. We eat our own dog food in the sense that we've written Polkadot using Substrate as well. Um, so we've launched the Kusama network, which is, uh, it's essentially Polkadot, but it isn't Polkadot. So it's a incentivized, um, real value bearing network for sort of putting through, a, a our, our theses through, through the, through the hoops. Um, and we're, we're working on deploying, uh, the initial implementations of parachains, uh, over the next few months. Ilya, uh, I know you also have some news. Yeah. So as uh, Rob mentioned, there's kind of a, a spectrum. So we're on the other side of spectrum from Cosmos, uh, where we see the world as kind of developers might want specialized uh, solutions, but in very rare cases. And uh, instead, they kind of want speed and ability to go to market if they actually business, building a business faster. Uh, hence, like we actually we think of Near as a developer platform, really targeting kind of people building applications and not needing to think how uh, infrastructure underneath works. Right, uh, kind of same models that like AWS been able to build a huge business around. Uh, at the same time, like to actually be able to serve these developers, uh, you do need a scalable platform. You do need uh, to solve a lot of kind of technical challenges. So that's what kind of infrastructures that we're building with Near Protocol is is a sharded protocol. It runs WebAssembly. It kind of provides all this tooling around it. And yeah, like yesterday, uh, as we mentioned in the one of the opening talks, uh, we just kind of opened up our mainnet. It is a proof of authority right now, but the goal, like the point is that it allows people to start b building applications and actually getting initial users. And then throughout uh, like May and uh, June, we're gonna be decentralizing, bringing more validators on board and uh, over time kind of releasing it to the community. Arthur? I think if you think of these um, networks and platforms merely as technology, you're, you're missing the, uh, the forest for the trees. Um, what these things are primarily is they are communities. They are, I would say the closest uh, thing to them are polities. They are essentially political organization. And the backbone of that uh, usually is a blockchain. It's a good way to do it. It's just one way. And what we're trying to do with Tezos is ensure that um, this, you know, we, you, can, you can preserve that community, you can preserve that network while being somewhat agnostic to the technology. And the way you can do that is by having technology which can evolve. So if you're looking purely as, so you know, obviously software and development are very important. So you cannot go anywhere if you don't have good engineering, if you don't have good software. But I would say that it's, you know, it's not the end. Uh, it's not the end goal. These things are not operating systems. They are fundamentally political entities. And, and, and what Tezos does is essentially trying to really tackle on that idea directly by introducing uh, means of control by by the community of uh, of the platform and how it evolves, and so Tezos has been uh, you know it, it, it's been in a testnet for many years now. It was in a uh, on the mainnet for um, almost two years, and it, it's it's already been through us three uh, three protocol upgrades. Uh, there are there are proposals for a fourth one coming, and so you can't define it as uh, as a piece of technology itself because the technology can change. And so, you know, anything we can discuss in terms of like sharding, in terms of like interoperability, all of these fundamentally are technologies, but they're not, they're not communities. And I think that's the focus uh, specifically of, of, of Tezos. 
Yeah, well, let's talk a little bit more about that because, um, you know, I kind of made that joke at the beginning about the Ethereum killers, which is sort of like this just catch-all phrase that was used for a lot of uh, protocols that are sort of working in the same area that all of you are. But I'm sure, you know, even just like listening to each of you describe what you're working on, obviously, there's a lot more nuance. Um, and yet at the same time, we are in this reality where kind of like the most used blockchain in this space is Ethereum. So I was curious to know how you differentiate yourself from Ethereum, you know, what problems you believe still need to be solved in this space and what you guys are working on. And anybody can start. We, I, I know we've been going in this little clockwise circle, but it can go in any direction. I'm, I'm happy to start. You know, I was, uh, I was re- one thing I was reading about Nier, which I thought was uh, was completely on point. And I, I don't know how like, um, how relevant it is today, but there was a statement saying like, look, we've been working on sharding uh, and like having this like super high scalability, and then we realize, hey, there's no point in building like it's like building this giant building in a desert, you know. And so I would say, by and large, you know, it, it might seem uh, if if you're like really looking very very closely at this, it's like, oh, you know, everyone's using Ethereum, but I would say no one no one is using Ethereum uh, like an, on a global scale. Like you have. Some applications, most of them are going to be around uh, around lending, and, and 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 there's not you know and th- th- there's not that much, and so you might be tempted to think like oh well you know these things have not been adopted, but I, I I take the view and it's not a very um it, it's a view that's very popular in the Bitcoin circle, but I think that if you if you if you have too much of a platform and technology mindset you might miss that, but I take the view that uh, merely merely holding a token is using it, if you're thinking in terms of censorship resistance, Caesar resistance store of values, which are fundamentally what, what these things are. And, and you, you can try to think of them as guests as much as you want. This is not the reality that we are today, not in, not in, not in Ethereum, not in Bitcoin, not in any network. Yeah, I, I think like one thing I do want to mention, like I don't think Ethereum is by f- even close to like most used blockchain. Uh, and like I, I would want to have some data, but I think it goes Git. And then a bunch of other protocols <laughs> that kind of Wait, fall, sorry, follow very similar, like crypt, like use Git, used by you know millions of developers. Oh, oh, oh. Um, so Git, Git is actually using it maintains a data structure which is pretty much a blockchain. It has like caching. It no, it, it doesn't. But it doesn't have this. Right. And it doesn't have a canonical head. Yeah. So and and so in in general like. And then if we go cryptocurrencies, right, we have Bitcoin. Right, right. I just mean in in the smart car, like in the space where you guys are playing. That's what I meant. Like, obviously, Bitcoin is, yeah. (laughs) But anyway, so keep going. (laughs) Well, I I think I think it's important to remember how far we are from like actually used stuff. That that's I think like like I think Electric actually has a very good report which like actually tracked down all the like developers building the space and it's like like laughable numbers right it's like 10,000 actual active developers in in the like whole like smart contract space right i just wanted to say i did an interview with maria who wrote that report from electric capital so but anyway keep going yeah i'm just saying like like 10,000 developers was like you know first few weeks of google releasing the framework right that that's kind of the <laughs> that's kind of the difference of magnitude. So I think definitely understanding how can we bring more developers and and like people and and actually users because definitely agrees that like if we have develop like to developers to come here we need people to use this stuff right they need to have value and need to see value why they will be using this. So Ilya, can I just ask you a little bit more about your approach with Near because. 
Um, so obviously you announced your new funding yesterday. Congratulations. Uh, and that's the news I was referring to. It was 21 million. And you also launched your proof of authority mainnet. And, you know, just, um, I think you would agree with me, like proof of authority, um, seems really appropriate for enterprise blockchain where, you know, kind of the validators are known, there's a very limited number of them. And so I just wondered, like, is this your way of kind of targeting a different audience from the audience that uh, like a more public blockchain like Ethereum is targeting? No, I mean, the plan is to like start onboarding more and more validators uh, pretty much like within the months. So we have, we actually have 40 validators running right now on uh, one of our test nets uh, across the world, which, you know, actually is more decentralized than some other public blockchains right now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so the idea of this POA is really just give the developers a platform to start deploying while we're still testing everything and kind of, in a way, pipeline the, like, still validating that, you know, decentralization, everything works, like the networking issues, all the things, and like Zaki can tell how really hard <laughs> these problems are and how long it takes to like debug all this. At the same time, uh, already start providing a platform for developers to actually build applications. And like we have few developers kind of who already have an application and actually serving users right now from testnet. And we really wanted to give them platforms that actually like will maintain state going forward. All right. Well, so to continue what I was asking about before, just about, you know, whether or not you guys are thinking about how you're thinking about Ethereum kind of as you're, you know, working on your protocols and figuring out which audiences you're targeting or which problems you want to solve or things like that. And I, I guess like in a way, Robert and Zucky, you guys, you're really working in a slightly different way where you're just trying to kind of um, bring a bunch of uh, different types of, you know, whether it's different blockchains or I guess for Robert with with shards, like, you know, how are you thinking about what you're doing, knowing that like Ethereum at the moment, at least in this particular space is leading? Well, as the as the others have said, like they're, they're leading a developer community, which is um, small relative to the amount of momentum that we want the space to gather in the future. Um, and I, I'd, I, I would like to clarify that the concept of heterogeneous sharding is very, very fundamentally different from homogeneous sharding um, because you're bringing in a, a, a capability of optimization and specialization that you cannot have with homogeneous sharding. Um, but, I mean, without a representative of Ethereum here, I don't feel too comfortable speaking a lot about Ethereum. Um, so, like, maybe I'll speak a little bit more generally, like how we look at uh, developer ecosystem and developer growth. I mean, this is one of the reasons that we've historically, and we continue to lead the charge into technology such as Rust, like bringing Rust into the blockchain space and bringing WebAssembly into the blockchain space, um, that these especially with WebAssembly, when you have the ability for developers to target WebAssembly, you're talking about a system of technologies where we don't have to reinvent the wheel. And you've got the strength of the millions strong developer community, huge open source bodies behind it, all the browser vendors behind it for things like uh, formal verification, good developer tools, and for people to write blockchain software in languages that they're familiar with. Um, and I think this is key, right, that you don't have to learn an entirely new language and rather you can maintain your comfort when moving into a new blockchain space uh, as, a, as, a, as a software developer who hasn't previously been exposed to those things. So I guess the way 
I mostly think about the blockchain space and what we're trying to do with Cosmos is, I guess the question, so where Ethereum has been successful is it has been an incredibly successful sandbox for building um, sort of early financial primitives and onboarding assets and, uh, you know, engage and having some sort of baseline of economic activity on those assets. Uh, the question is really, is the, like, sort of the Ethereum maximal strategy is, is the way I think about it is, is it's a point of view that's basically like, well, we can take these successful experiments, organically grow this ecosystem, um, sort of glue on scalability solutions as, as they're needed and essentially, uh, sort of organically evolve into, uh, the sort of global, uh, sort of a, a, a global financial sort of ecosystem. Uh, I guess the, 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 the sort of cosmos point of view is, is that we're sort of missing some primitives there. Um, and the primitive that we're missing is basically this inter- sovereign interoperability primitive. Um, and sort of not having that primitive um, means that like you can that these sort of nascent experiments will never be able to grow into sort of large scale platforms. Um, and, you know, we've had some early signs that there's like general enthusiasm for this. Um, you know, there isn't we don't really sell the Cosmos platform really that hard, um, but we've seen uh, sort of a number of other entities sort of either uh, adopt the platform wholesale or basically adopt the the philosophy and concepts of this of, of the platform in in what they've built, um, and that sort of seems like the the indication that we're sort of moving in the right direction um, by introducing this new primitive into the blockchain space, um, uh, which is to a certain extent a very that that that's sort of like our governing philosophy. I recognize, as you guys have all been saying, it's super early, and the number of developers that are working in uh, the blockchain space is, is still very small globally. And yet, at the same time, um, you know, I think we could say about Ethereum that at least they do have sort of a network effect. And some of you did allude to this. Um, you know, right now, obviously, DeFi on Ethereum. Uh, I would say, you know, has a certain network effect at the moment. There's about $400 million worth of ETH locked in DeFi on Ethereum. So just like in terms of attracting developers, you know, if, if this theory that has been talked about for quite a while in the blockchain space is true, that, um, you know, cryptocurrencies and blockchain networks really are about building network effects, then how do you plan to attract developers to your ecosystems? There's actually an interesting point that like public blockchains uh, in comparison to something like Libra is actually allowed to link to other blockchains, right? And that's what uh, Zaki working with IBC, but there's like various ways to connect, which means the network effects actually like and bringing people into the ecosystem kind of benefits everyone. Uh, obviously, like it, we need tooling and we need like kind of better connectivity. And that's, for example, we working on a bridge, which is somewhat similar design to IBC that links to Ethereum and like allows you to build applications that just use the kind of existing liquidity, existing uh, Lego pieces from Ethereum on other platforms. And I know like Polkadot is doing the same. Um, so in general, I think like there is a network effect and there's people who are kind of professionally like building solidity contracts now and are excited about the space. Uh, but I don't think 
like at this point there is uh like we see that ethereum way of like specifically building on this on this specific technology right is is winning and i, I agree with arthur here it's more about like like there's a community of people who are building this financial primitives and excited about the new way of building kind of fintech companies and uh, they will be looking for kind of what is the best piece of technology that they can pull together to build a better experience for users, right? Um, and uh, I mean, even so what happened on like March 12th, right? Uh, the kind of spike in gas price, spike in usage pretty much rendered a lot of applications unusable or like the some of the developers end up paying huge amounts in fees, right? Uh, because Ethereum just couldn't like scale to this kind of very extreme capacity issue. So like there's definitely a need for kind of different solutions. And, and I think like even this existing cohort of people uh, who are already here will be like uh, extending. And I think like the other part is to just bring more people who are excited about FinTech and see that uh, kind of this approaches and this technologies actually will allow them to get faster to the market. And Arthur, actually, does that apply to you that you can um, kind of interoperate with Ethereum in some way to take advantage of the developer activity they have there? I, I see how it applies to uh, some of the other blockchains, but I wasn't sure about Tezos. I mean, you know, uh, Tezos doesn't have any way of, uh, uh, you know, Tezos is what it is. So it's, it's either attractive to developers or it's not. Uh, and the only means that I have to, uh, I, I, I would say to, uh, to make uh, to attractive to people is going on podcasts and explaining why it's a great blockchain. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, that's, that, that, that's, that's pretty much what I can do for it. Uh, but I do think it's very attractive. I think the, um, the, the spirit and the idea of it is that you can have a chain which is, in some sense, autonomous. It has uh, internally mechanisms that can make it current over and over and over. And the idea of knowing that you can build on a platform and know that it's going to keep current, it's not just going to be displaced by something else, which is going to be faster or more scalable. Um, it's always, always, you know, the, the idea of having the means, uh, uh, technologically speaking, to always be at the forefront or close to the forefront is, I think, pretty compelling. But in general, I think that, you know, if, if you want developers, the best thing is to have good developer tools. That's... Uh, that's what, you know, on top of a good platform you want to have, easy to use, uh, good developer tools. And that's, uh, that, that's, uh, that's probably the thing. But I would say also, you know, if, if you're not, you know, if you're not uh, an incumbent and much of the, uh, much of the network effect of, uh, of Ethereum, I don't think it comes from the fact that they have existing, uh, it's not so much that there's like what they've built. I think it mostly comes from the fact that they're an incumbent and, you know, we're in a space where which is mostly winner take all, and so incumbents have a huge advantage. So Bitcoin is a huge advantage over Ethereum because they are direct competitors, uh, and Ethereum has a huge advantage over the other platform just because it, it was there earlier and it's been there for longer. And it it it, it does nothing. It, it it has nothing to do with I think the network effect in terms of developers that they've built. It's more of a mindshare type of uh, network effects that I uh, I'm referring to. And and I think the way that you can um, the way that you can deal with that is by being very focused and by having a really good understanding of what it is that your technology do, what it is that you're building, uh, and that that lets you um, that lets you avoid a lot of uh, of dead ends if you understand precise, you know, if you really understand your product. And I think very few people in this space understand what it is that they're what it is that they're building. Like they know how to build it, so they just don't understand what they're building. 
Yeah, I mean, I I think I'm just translating that as yours, you know, sort of saying that basically everybody should have a vision and, and, you know, kind of keep that in mind while they're building. But I was curious to know, like, you know, with Tezos, what are people voting on? You know, I kind of took a look and it, it looks like it's all stuff kind of really focused on the protocol. And, I, you know, it doesn't seem like there's anything controversial happening, but I didn't know, like, aside from that, like, what else are people doing with, with Tezos? So there was actually something controversial uh, in, the, uh, in, in the Babylon upgrade. And uh, even in Athens, there were some discussions over the, uh, over the upgrade. Um, so that I think that's uh, that, that's fairly important, and you also have to say that because there is you know because there is mechanism, it's you know you, you don't ha- you should think of the voting mechanism on a chain not as a decision procedure but as a ratification procedure. In some sense, you have some uh, you have some governance that essentially happens off chain, but then you present it and you ratify, and it basic you know uh, and, and basically I think it avoids a lot of the. Uh, a lot, a lot of the scenario which you might have otherwise, where people might push for, uh, you know, uh, controversial ideas through, up, uh, through hard forks because they know that they're not going to get the votes. And so you don't necessarily observe it, but I think it has an effect, an important effect on the, uh, on the network. You know, I, I think they're using it as cryptocurrency. And fundamentally, I think that if you're building a platform and you're not thinking, and you're thinking you're building a platform for application and that you're not building a cryptocurrency, I think you're not understanding what you're building. If you're not, if you don't think that Ethereum is direct competitor of Bitcoin, I say I think you don't understand Ethereum. If you don't think yeah. Tezos, you know, you know, like whether it's Z or Atom or anything like that, they are all they are all direct competitors. And the fact that you can build application is great. If you can have applications, you know, because cryptocurrencies are you know they're good for a few things. Uh, they're interesting as they store you know if the Kozaks come and try you know and, and take everyone's money and 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 chase everyone from. Uh, uh, from a shelf, then you can keep your cryptocurrency, and that's and that's great. That's use case number one. Use case number two, you want to make a lot of cross-border payment between machines all over the internet. It's completely uh, infeasible to use one of the thousands of payment networks that exist out there. You want to use cryptocurrency? Great. If you want to pay, if you want to pay fees for a smart contract, that's a great way to use a cryptocurrency. So having smart contract, being a smart contract platform, lets you use your cryptocurrency in a useful way, but you're still building a cryptocurrency fundamentally. And if you don't, if you're not thinking of it as a cryptocurrency, you don't understand your product. In response to the challenging times, Crypto.com is introducing three measures to help the community. First, the 3.5% credit card fee for all crypto purchases will be waived for the next three months. Second, you could get up to 10% back by using the MCO Visa card on food delivery and grocery shopping at merchants like Uber Eats, McDonald's, Domino's Pizza, Walmart, and more. Don't have a card yet? Buy gift cards on the Crypto.com app from merchants like Whole Foods, Safeway, Burger King, Chipotle, Papa John's, Domino's, and more. And get 20% back on food and 10% back on groceries. This is a global offer, so check out which merchants are available in your country. Download the Crypto.com app today. Today's episode is brought to you by Kraken. Kraken is the best exchange in the world for buying and selling digital assets. With all the recent exchange hacks and other troubles, you want to trade on an exchange you can trust. Kraken's focus on security is utterly amazing. Their liquidity is deep and their fee structure is great with no minimum or hidden fees. 
They even reward you for trading so you can make more trades for less. If you're a beginner, you will find an easy on-ramp from five fiat currencies. And if you're an advanced trader, you'll love their 5x margin and futures trading. To learn more, please go to kraken.com. That's K-R-A-K-E-N.com. The Stellar Network connects people to global currencies and assets. Stellar lets you make near-instant payments in any currency with anyone, anywhere. It's an open blockchain network that acts as payment rails for applications and institutions around the world, and designed so that existing financial systems can work together on a single platform. Transactions powered by Stellar are low-cost, transparent, and fast, saving both businesses and end-users the time and money associated with traditional payment networks. With Stellar, your business can issue digital dollars or exchange existing fiat currencies without the need for complicated smart contracts or new programming languages. Its robust documentation, toolkits, and multi-language support let you quickly integrate Stellar into your existing products and services. Learn more about Stellar and start building today at unchained.stellar.org. Yeah, I'm just so curious, Zucky, Robert, and Ilya, do you agree that Bitcoin and Ethereum are direct competitors? Because I don't see it that way at all. Well, what I think a lot about is, so like we have platform technologies and each of us have like different platform technologies, but it is somewhat like the the search for comparative advantage for a token is also uh, is also sort of somewhat like is like a it's like a different like technology like social and technological progression to the like platform evolution like they're coupled because the the okay. the, the token exists within the platform technology but you have the search for comparative advantage um, and comparative advantage is not zero sum but like there is a relatively narrow space in which to search for that comparative advantage right now. Um, and that, that does sort of render all of our tokens that like into in something of a, like a competitive space. Well, it's, it's competitive, but it's not zero sum, at least at the moment, because there's a lot of room for growth. So uh, like, I think that's a very important distinction to make is that like what one protocol gains is not necessarily the loss of another protocol. I mean, once you've saturated the market, yes, I think that this would be the case. But uh, at this point, um, we're looking for differentiators that will just expose us to broader and broader markets and bring more people into the space. I think good framework is that the like tokens and and especially like monetary policy is in some way a central bank of this like country of you know people and users and developers and everyone who is using this system, right? And like. In some way, obviously, you know, every country wants to take over the world. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we are, like we actually have countries coexisting uh, <laughs> to some extent. And, 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 and the central banks have a very different properties around like what is their economics is based on. Right. Like, you know, if you look at some of the, like Russia, for example, a lot of its economy is based on oil versus, you know, I'm not going to talk about U.S. Well, <laughs> um, like in general, right, the, the way the economics of the central banks operates can be very different. And while like at the same time, it is money and, you know, it is like it is what people use for like day to day operations. So I think like it's important to remember that, like, yes, in, in like underlying way, uh, kind of when I, I agree with Rob, when we like saturate the market, it will become like somewhat more of a competition. But at the same time, like the economics can be based on very different uh, kind of components and, and like utility that it provides. 
Uh, I do want to mention, though, that like on the governance side, uh, just to uh, put one thought, I actually don't believe there's a there will be contentious hard forks in proof of stake systems at all, because in proof of stake, like in proof of work, the decision of you know switching to a new protocol is like on miners, but everybody else needs to accept it, right? Like everybody else needs to also change the binary. Like, because miners can, you know, shift and keep and like start mining a different chain. But if I'm running my node, I can start mining the old chain, right? So there can be like natural forks and like mining power. In proof of stake, especially BFT, where we prefer liveness, you kind of need 66% to switch or you need both to be like contentious hard forks, right? Like you cannot keep the chain that like no changes chain anymore because the, like you don't have a like major, like super majority to produce blocks in the first place even if like more than 33% left so it's actually like and and the the kind of somewhat bad part about this is actually if there is something like this happens and both chains modify their state to produce new like forks then the choice is actually not at people's hands, but at exchanges' hands. Because the people who decide what, which one to value and which one has stake is like, you know, whoever, whoever values it and whoever puts a price on it, which right now are exchanges and centralized exchanges for the most part. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of like mechanics that we need to be aware of here. I, I don't think that miners decide on, uh, on forks in, uh, in proof of work because miners are, you know, miners have to expand electricity in order to, uh, to mine. And so they're going to follow markets and markets are going to follow, uh, basically social consensus. So it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it, it, it's a bit of a circle where everyone is trying to pre-commit very hard to one branch of the fork, but it's hard to create, you know, it's, it's hard to make a credible commitment where there's so much on the line. It's kind of a giant game of chicken between, you know, users, maybe exchanges, miners, and you get an outcome which basically you end up with groups having like massive, uh, massive leverage just because it's just so entangled and you have this crazy game of chicken. And that's, I think, the beauty of having on-chain governance is that you bypass this, this thing. I also think that even if you have, you know, even if you have um, BFT, uh, like classical BFT uh, for, uh, for doing a consensus, you're still, you, know, you can still have contentious hard forks because you will have validators who just decide to uh, go on both branches. And it's, you know they can't be slashed. Uh, you know it's easy to to modify slightly the code in one branch to make sure they're not going to be slashed from one to the other, and so they'll just uh, sign both. Uh, I think it depends on the mentality of the validators. If you have validators which are convinced that yes, it's important to maintain the integrity of the network, it's fine. But if they you know if they are in the school of thoughts of oh you know we're just building technology platforms, they're just applications, then you know in other words if they don't get it, then yeah they're going to be uh, they're going to be on multiple. Uh, platforms. Yeah, I I would just add to that that if we just look at history with what happened with Ethereum Classic, um there were some really small number of miners, maybe like one or two or something that kept the old chain going originally, but Ethereum Classic didn't really exist until the exchanges started uh, ex uh, offering it, offering trading on it. So, you know, it really was a situation where the exchanges actually led and the exchanges themselves would say it was the users who led because they were demanding trading in it. So, um, you know, just from that one example, I, I, I don't know if I would say miners were the ones who decided. But uh, one thing I just wanted to ask was, I don't remember who well, it was. That well, to, to, oh, uh -huh. 
No, I just wanted to mention, like, when I said miners, I said miners can, not that they are driving. But, like, in general, if, if there was no miners, right, there would not be Ethereum Classic. Like, somebody actually mined. In proof of stake, like, if I decide, you know, to fork off a Tezos right now, like, it's not, you know, it's not, like, I will not be able to, like, produce blocks, period. Mm-hmm. Like, or yeah. I will be producing blocks. You'll have to tweak the state. You'll have to tweak the state, but you could, you could if you just took the state yeah. enough. And, and, that, and that is a contentious hard fork. And, like, that's a definition of contentious hard fork, tweaking the state. So, like, like that's what I'm saying. There, there's no zero choice. There's always, like, like whatever kind of, whatever the supermajority wants or, or, or nothing. There's no, like, kind of splitting into, like, but, but the contentious, contentious like options. And the, the problem, oftentimes, the, the problem is not that you have a fork and that there's you know an Ethereum Classic or a Bitcoin Cash or, or 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 something like that because these are generally very small. The problem is that the one that becomes canonical becomes canonical for the wrong reasons. And so, you know, the problem with the forks is that what it, it's not that oh you're going to have two branch because one branch is almost always going clearly going to be the canonical branch. The problem is the function that decides which branch is canonical. Okay, yeah. I Oh, Zaki, did you want to add on this? I mean, this is interesting. Well, all I wanted to say is, I think that like a big part of the design of, um, I think, you know, so Polkadot, Cosmos, and Tezos, at very least, are people who are like, have been designed by people who are, had, were like around for the blockchain wars of 2015, 2016, 2017. And so they are informed by like the political processes of that. And, you know, Cosmos, you know, a year into its life is just kind of starting to experience a world where we actually have like real, real politics on chain. And there are, there are real protocol governance questions and, um, these, these things are, so we're like very early in the maturity process of that stuff. And so like our experience with this sort of like political systems are like our experience with the limitations of the technology platform and how that affected the politics informed these like design decisions, but they didn't, we, we, we are still yet to know how they play out. Um, it isn't until you really stress the system and still there is like tension and contention and like disagreement um, that we really know any of this stuff and how our, how our design decisions have played out. But like, that's like, that is where you kind of, kind of the rubber meets the road on these protocols is, is like, is how they're going to process all of these political changes. Um, and like how a polity and how like an actual community forms. Um, so we're still like very early days in these things, but I think that would just generally be like, I think something that people kind of miss in the, like this technology is better than that technology. We're trying to operate at this like intersection of like developer onboarding community and politics, um, on top of a technology platform. And it's only the combination of all of those things that eventually becomes like a significant player, not any individual aspect being better or worse. Yeah, that's actually, I feel like maybe what Arthur was saying in the beginning, but I find it interesting because I do agree with you that it does seem like those tensions from those years have really informed the different design choices that you guys have made. But what's interesting, and I didn't realize this actually literally until we were here talking, meaning like before when when we were figuring out who would be in the panel, I didn't think of this, but um, it does feel like, and Arthur, correct me if I'm wrong, it does feel like 
and actually, I think even in this conversation, you've you've already had like a slightly different vision. Was were you the one who said that this is like a winner take all space, and then the others were like, no, it's not. Was that you who said that, or who said that? No, I, I did say that, but I I, I I agree with Robert that you know just because it's winner take all doesn't mean that now it's uh, that that is negative some now. I don't think it's negative some now because uh, in the world of program, you know. Uh, most uh, programs and most startups don't compete against each other. They compete against anyone giving a shit. And clearly, blockchains today, you know, they're not startups, but they also they, they compete for something. And right now, they compete against anyone's giving a shit and not really against each other. What I find very sad is that I think that the economic insight behind maximalism is correct, and some people use a correct economic insight as an excuse to you know not only be dicks on the internet, but like. I, you know, outright call for state violence. And I find that absolutely despicable. But the economic insight is correct. I think it's way down the line. And I, 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 I do think it's better to, ma- to maintain a, uh, a, um, a, uh, a collaborative environment, you know, and, and, see, uh, and, and see who makes it out alive rather than, uh, rather than try to, uh, to tear each other to pieces like that early <laughs> in the game. We, we tear each other to pieces in 10 years, okay? Not now. <laughs> <laughs> well, but so I'm curious to know, like Robert Zucky and Ilya. So, because you guys had this like slightly different vision that you guys were talking about. So, um, do you agree with Arthur that someday down the line it will become winner take all, or do you just fundamentally foresee a totally different future where you know it's kind of like more this interoperable world that that you guys are trying to build? I think that's that's in many ways just the the nature of things that things follow power law distributions, and that when you start to run out of resources, competition is inherent. And you can see that in many different ways and places in the world. And I don't think that this is going to be um, any exception. But like the road that we have out before us is uh, one that has a, a long way to go before I think we reach that point of exhausted researchers and, and, and fervent competition. Uh, at the end of the day, though, blockchain protocols need to provide value for the token in order to provide security. Like these things are built off of incentive loops where new issuance you know, has to be based off of demand that drives security. So if there's no demand or if there's more demand for another platform, then down the line, if there's a limited amount of possible demand, then you can't secure all of the platforms or some of them may grow largely more powerful than others. Uh, But as Arthur says, I think that this is really why, you know, I'd like to strike the point that things are not settled right now. Like the best directions to go in are unclear. And that it's really a time for experimentation. It's for projects to do something different from each other. It's one of the reasons that we also are, are using on-chain governance in our protocol, um, because we think that, uh, one, sometimes the, I mean, the alternative seems to be, you know, as we've seen from history, oftentimes just no governance, that nothing happens and you get caught in kind of obfuscated power structures and your, your systems don't adapt as they, as they should. Uh, so a formalized system of government allows the system to adapt, bring in new technology, but it also allows people to just fundamentally put their money where their mouth is. And if they want to back uh, a position with a certain amount of conviction, they can spend money and they can spend time in order to back that position. And, well, whichever the community decides is the way that it's going to go. So my general thought here is that there, I, I expect there to be fundamental trade-offs in, in like sort of what tokens can be good at. Um, I think there are going to be like sort of politics and governance will, will imply that like uh, not everything is for everyone. Um, and so, you know, if you are, if a token is sort of pursuing this like monitor, like 
base layer monetary vision, um, it's likely to be like a sort of politicsless protocol and sort of optimized for that. Um, you know, there's a, you know, I think all of us are starting definitely building systems that are more sort of specific um, and will tend to end up with like unique characteristics. Um, and so I just, I'm more skeptical than in the blockchain space that you'll follow the sort of standard technology industry uh, power law distribution because of sort of scalability constraints about communities and, and, uh, and sort of standard practices and around like how your blockchain actually works. Uh, so more skeptical of uh, anything truly achieving like uh, sort of like a winner take all space. And Ilya, you got cut off early. What were you going to say? Yeah, I'm actually with Rob. I, I do think like it will uh, follow power law and like following my example with countries and central banks, like, you know, we do have few superpowers that kind of controlling the world in, in many ways. And then there's, you know, a few other like sub uh, kind of followers in a way. I do also, like, on the other side of this, like, I, this space is evolving so fast, and, like, uh, even in the last two years, like, we learned a lot, kind of, new things. There's new cryptography coming out. There's all kinds of things happening all the time, so it's both not the time, nor it's unclear that, like, what we think right now is the right way, will be right way, you know, in, in a few years, right? Like it may be, you know, we all switch to zero knowledge proofs and we don't need a chain, right? We all just exchange zero knowledge proofs offline or like P2P, right? Like th there's like so many like possible other kind of alternatives. And I think like us exploring the space and like figuring out what works right now and how we like get it to people is important, but also like looking forward to new technologies is definitely uh, something. And like it may reshape completely how we think, uh, like this will be evolving, right? I mean, same as like before Bitcoin, nobody could imagine this kind of thing. Like the, there's a possibility that there will be some new like kind of evolution that will completely change how we look at this. So we should be like open-minded about that. Uh, at the same time, like I, I'm, I'm agreeing, like uh, we should be evolving. And yeah, like our, our plan is kind of continue uh, both working as well as like continue ev evolving the protocol and like both feeding it closer to like what developers need, what users need, and uh, like bringing in new technologies. So like I, I do think governance is very important. I don't think that token holder, like direct token holder voting is the best way to do it. And I don't think we have a good ways right now to kind of organize it. At the same time, like I do think in, in proof of stake right now, validators are kind of at power one way or another. Like they are the people who are running code and they are defining what blocks are produced. So like pretty much building from there and kind of evolving that into like operational governance is uh, crucial. And I think, I mean, like I'm, I'm here in many ways following Zaki and with Cosmos and like what they've done already uh, just because like, like they kind of gave power to validators and like kind of delegators through, through the voting and then uh, pretty much like given they are who pretty much producing blocks and signing, signing it and running hardware is like uh, like a reasonable way to um, to start from, but I do think we need to bring more people who are actually like uh, would be introducing other other sides of this uh, like develop like non protocol developers uh, kind of community leaders and uh, in like other other like financial institutions as well 
to kind of uh, manage how this is going forward. Well, that's actually, yeah, that's uh, kind of where I want to go next, or depending on the time, this is probably where we'll leave off. But um, basically, like, you know, if if we're saying, like, it's so early in the space that we just need to get more people in, you know, how are you doing that? Like, you know, you guys did talk a little bit about the technological things that you think will, your technical features that will interest different developers and stuff. But like, also, there are the community aspects and everything. So like, just in a holistic sense, like, you know, what are all the different things that you're thinking? of doing to bring more people in and to get people to use your networks and um, and to just get into cryptocurrency. <laughs> Hopefully this is not one of those questions where nobody has a plan. <laughs> so I, I'll, I'll answer that by rebounding on what Zaki was saying. You know, Zaki was saying, if you want to be uh, something akin to, uh, to, to the money, um, it shouldn't be uh, political. And I agree with that. But I also think that, you know, the, the protocols themselves should not be political. The best way not to be political is to basically have very strong norms against never changing anything, but then you give up on innovation. And so I think right now, if you look at these cryptocurrencies, they're not quite money, they're proto-money. Uh, and as such, they are political projects. It doesn't mean they have to be internally political, but you have to understand them as political projects. And I think embracing that is a, is a, way, of growing, uh, is a way of growing communities because... You know, it's, it's it's accepting the nature of the beast. But but like the, but how do you bring that message to people out? Like, how do you get people outside of crypto to take an interest in that? Like, like like what you just said just seems very kind of internal. Like, not something where like like what would be your message to somebody who's not in the crypto space to be like, hey, come check this out. So my point of view is on this is I think the next sort of interesting big steps for Cosmos is, you know, the Atom community is a very crypto-native community. Um, but I think that we have participants in the Cosmos ecosystem, whether you have, like, the Agoric folks who are, you know, very native to, like, the mainstream Java community. They've been part of the sort of JavaScript standards work in the, distribu- like, mainstream distributed computing world for, you know, 30, 40 years. Um, uh, is there a community that's going to be founded that's sort of more based in that world? Um, you have people like Regen um, who are sort of based in sort of like the environmentalism sort of uh, sort of ecological transformation movement. Um, so I, in many ways, I think the way that you get mainstream people to care about blockchains and the way Cosmos helps onboard those people is the ability to sort of uh, sort of go and like land sort of uh, social coordination mechanisms that are native to those communities and sort of. Um, and then bring them and connect them to some of the more crypto-native communities inside of the cosmos. Yeah, I think it's actually, there's a trend uh, that's happening in the real world, which is uh, communities wanting to have more control and moving away or like trying to kind of build that control outside of this big distribution platforms like Facebook, Reddit, etc. right? And like Hacker Noon is a good example, right? They moved away from Medium, so they have more control over their platform, over their users, over the monetization, etc. And this technology, like as part of it, provides kind of uh, a substrate for for sounds is like how to build a community, how to bootstrap it, how to uh, align incentives and create new economies around this. So I think that's like an interesting perspective. That's the one which Vitalik mentioned yesterday was around just like kind of control as a liability, right? We have this huge platforms that now pretty much becoming, like they need to uh, 
like like exercise control over and censorship over their own product and kind of sometimes censor even governments and like for them like something that actually decentralizes control and and like in a way removes the need or or brings it back to the communities to the kind of more local uh governance uh provides a new way of doing it right but like i think at the end what we do need to do is like stop you know talking about like how can everybody use blockchain it, like I, i do agree that like it's all it's about money and politics in in underlying way but at the same time like most people don't really care most people like when they use an application right they don't think this is like a sequel application right or a you know like they just use application like they don't care so it's the same like they don't think that dollar is you know gold backed or not gold backed they just want to use a dollar and buy some something with it and we need to get to that point where uh like like people actually just use this for the function and kind of start operating on 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 that level uh and like I, i'm like i'm emerging from ukraine our economic economy sucks we like every crisis that hit us hit like ukraine twice three times more and like i'm i'm actually very scared of what's going to happen given what's happening with us right now and like there's a huge opportunity for like this technology and especially money as like a way for people to you know shelter their savings and you know actually like hold up in the like economic turmoil the problem is the current stuff is like completely unusable like no people can actually like you know get it on their phones or devices uh there's no like markets created in in the local countries right so we really need to like really up the game on usability and really up the game on actually like liquidity uh like if you think of like USDT which is like in a way the only right now usable stablecoin I mean like, I I love maker but like the amount of dies that exists in the world is like so small that like it's not like really operational. Uh like if we think of USDT out like removing all the issues of like you know how it's managed etc again it's it's just like it doesn't have liquidity in the places where it needs to be right like where people actually have demand for dollars and there's no dollars and there's no like way to acquire them. So I think like we kind of need to like start investing more in this in this types of things uh, on top of like just making this stuff really usable for people. So one other thing I wanted to ask about was, you know, right now while we're speaking, we're kind of at the beginning of what will eventually be a, a multi-phase and um quite long transition to Ethereum 2.0 and so even though we were just talking about kind of getting people outside the crypto space and I'm sure, you know, you do want to also get developers who are already developing in crypto interested in your projects. And so does that create some kind of opportunity for you? Like how do you think the transition to Ethereum 2.0 will sort of shake up the um existing kind of blockchain space? Ask me again in 2016. 2016. Ask me. I I I remember in 2016 I was, you know, I was talking about Tezos and how it had proof of stake and every and I I remember people saying like, "Well, who cares if Tezos has proof of stake?" Ethereum is going to have proof of stake next quarter, so you know. I think what what it will be great. I think there's a lot of super interesting design in Ethereum 2.0, you know. But I I feel like Ethereum gets all the credit of Ethereum 2.0 with none of the deployment. So let's give credit to the blockchain which are out there, which are actually sharding, which are actually using proof of stake, which are actually you know doing these things as opposed to talking about them. Well, and just out of curiosity, like, would you say that most people that are interested in Tezos 
just are developers that didn't have previous experience in crypto, like didn't come from another blockchain. They just came straight to Tezos. No, I think most people, uh, most people who uh, who took an interest in Tezos had interest in uh, had an interest in uh, in cryptocurrencies to begin with. Although I think we, uh, I think more people um, had an interest in Bitcoin and in Ethereum. I think in terms of the uh, the balance in the community, uh, that's a uh, that's a I would say that's that's a, that's a difference. Oh, interesting. And what about the rest of you guys? Like, how are you thinking about? Uh, how that's going to affect the development of your protocols or interest in them. So one, I guess, thing that I think a lot about with Ethereum 2.0 is Ethereum has sort of embarked on this strategy that is very much like, okay, we are going to sort of ground up design a second system. Um, it is an interesting strategy because there's an alternative system strategy, which is we're just going to, try to colonize our network effects into other people's technology stacks. And that would, it's sort of, I guess, uh, uh, an interesting and alternative strategy. And it it sort of remains open to Ethereum, the option of pivoting. Uh, like Ethereum could pivot and decide, um, you know, there's like a lot of things that we like about the near technology stack. It's close enough to the Ethereum 2.0 vision. Why don't we just colonize it and then try to bring our network effects over into that technology stack? It is, we are all building open source technologies. Um, there is nothing that stops any one of our technologies from sort of colonizing the ideas, ethos, code of each other. Um, and I'm kind of surprised that this happens less than uh, than you think. So I think the, the most, the, the way to think about, the way I think about Ethereum 2.0 is Ethereum 2.0 will be the attempt of the Ethereum community to move their network effects into a new system, um, to take that network effect uh, with them into some new technology. I think the assumption that like Ethereum 2.0, that like how that happens is sort of like a fixed vision um, may not end up actually being the case. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see what occurs. Okay. We probably have time for one more person who might want to jump in on that. Yeah. It's, it's a lot about like excitement in the space and Ethereum 2 is like has this kind of ring to it. So I think like, like from our perspective, like we focus on developers, we, we've, and, 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 and bringing it to end users, like bringing their product to end users. So I, I, in many ways, like. Uh, like we, you know, cooperate or like have conversations with, uh, with the Ethereum Foundation uh, on like technology and underlying things. We share a lot of like indeed ideas like with Zaki and, and some Polkadot folks. Um, and like, I think like on technology side, it, I think it's, it's kind of a, in a way, like shared mind, mind space of, of us all figuring out what works, what doesn't and how, how to make it. And I think like on, on network effects, I think it will be more utility and in some some forms maybe the like governance and politics, but uh, I think the kind of like utility and and functionality and getting this to the users uh, will be the like driving factor first. And like I think like all all of us are focused on a different aspect of this and how this is brought to developers uh, and yeah. like we all kind of proving that this is the best way or this is like at least, you know, a sizable chunk of the market. And we'll see, we'll see how it will play out. 
Exactly. We'll know what works when it's all over. All right. Well, thank you all so much for joining us. And um, thank you also to the audience. And I hope you all have a great day and stay safe and healthy, everybody. Thank you, everyone. See you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about Ilya Polisukin of New Protocol, Zaki Manian of Cosmos, Robert Habermeyer of Polkadot, and Arthur Brightman of Tezos, be sure to check out the links in the show notes of your podcast player. Don't forget, take the Unchained survey at surveymonkey.com slash r slash unchanged 2020 to have your say in how we can improve the show. Again, you can have a chance to win a metal MCO Visa card that Crypto.com will stake indefinitely and that offers free Spotify, free Netflix, and 3% back on all your spending. Plus, earn extra interest on your crypto deposit. For your chance to win, fill out the survey at surveymonkey.com slash r slash unchanged 2020. Unchained is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Fractal Recording, Anthony Yoon, Daniel Ness, Josh Durham, and the team at CLK Transcription. Thanks for listening.